evidence and answers. There is little historical confirmation that confirms the accounts recorded in holy books like the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, and the Book of Mormon. How does the Bible compare? Is there historical evidence for the events recorded in the Bible? Christianity is uniquely a historical faith, and there's been numerous historical confirmation for the people, places, and events in the Bible. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, let's listen as Pat shares a message entitled, The Stones Cry Out, and discover some of the more significant discoveries in archaeology that confirm the historical reliability of the Bible. Well, as we begin today, we've got a fun message for you. Here's one of our funner messages here, Archaeology and the Bible. So as we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you for the testimony of archaeology that confirms your word. I pray that we would be strengthened and equipped to boldly share our faith to a lost world from the things we study today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go by some things really quickly, so everything that we are covering here and more you can get at our website at evidenceandanswers.org. Not only do I teach on this material, but some of the top scholars, archaeologists from around the world, including Hawaii's own Dr. Edwin Yamauchi, perhaps the top Middle Eastern archaeologist right now, graduate of uh, Iolani High School here, is also there at evidenceandanswers.org. When I studied the world religions, I found that most of them were legendary in nature. There's very little historical evidence of the life and events of Buddha and Krishna. And when it comes to Islam, there's very little evidence for Muhammad and the events of the Quran. Very little, to the point where Historians are now concluding that Muhammad most likely may have been a fictional figure. The Book of Mormon, very little, if any, archaeology confirms the cities that are recorded in the Book of Mormon. In fact, when you open the Book of Mormon, you notice there's no maps in there for all these hundreds of cities that covered North and South America. If you look in our Bible, you'll see maps everywhere confirming people, places, and events of the Bible. But when I studied the world religions, I found most of them were legendary in nature. And in high school and college, that's what I was taught. I was taught Bible stories. And indeed, that's what we thought they were. Stories. Simply, the priests and everything were telling, these are simply fictional stories made up to encourage the people of Israel to gain some kind of national identity. I just did an interview, great interview with Hilary Ferrer, called Mama Bear Apologetics. Great book that she wrote, and she exhorted me. She said, Pat, tell your parents and your Sunday school teachers when you're teaching our children, don't call these Bible stories. They are not Bible stories. Tell them you're teaching them Bible history, okay, or biblical accounts. Because if you keep saying Bible story, Bible story, Bible story, by the time they get to junior high, they're going to think, yeah, that's all they are, stories. But anyway, I was taught these are simply fairy tales and stories. Now, Christianity claims to be a historical faith built on historical facts and true life events that happened in the context of history. And if these accounts recorded in the Bible are not true, if they are simply fiction, then the teachings of Jesus stand in question 
and so does the truth of Christianity. Jesus quotes the Old Testament heavily, refers to the stories as literal historical events, as God incarnate. What he taught then must be true. And Jesus taught a literal Adam and Eve. He builds his case for marriage on Adam and Eve. Noah and the Ark, the Mosaic authorship, Jonah and the whale, Sodom and Gomorrah, many Old Testament accounts that have been treated by liberals as simply fictional, Jesus quotes and refers to as historical events. So if these events are not historical, then is Jesus really God incarnate? And the truth of Christianity then stands in question. So how does the evidence stack up for the Bible? Can we put it to the historical test that we do with other documents and how does it stand up? Can we trust it as a record, a historical record of God's activity here on the earth? Does archaeology and historical study affirm the historical nature of the Bible? Well, one of the unique things about Christianity is that it is a historical faith. One of the most powerful evidences for the truth of Christianity comes from the testimony of historical research. And what we're going to look at today is one branch of that called archaeology. And today there are literally tens of thousands of discoveries that confirm people, places, and events recorded in the Bible. There's no book like it that has literally tens of thousands of historical discoveries that affirm the historical nature of the Bible. And so today, the rocks literally cry out that indeed the Bible is God's word and Christianity is indeed true. Here's what some of the top archaeologists of modern times say. Dr. William F. Albright, for those of us in the archaeology field, know this name because he's the father of modern Middle Eastern archaeology. Right? And he states, there can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of the Old Testament. Another renowned archaeologist, Nelson Gluick, says, as a matter of fact, however it may be stated categorically, no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. Donald Weissman, another name you recognize if you're in this field, he says, the geography of Bible lands and visible remains of antiquity were gradually recorded until today more than 25,000 sites within this region and dating to Old Testament times in the broadest sense have been located. 25,000 sites. Okay, now if you include manuscripts, artifacts, coins, weaponry, boy, it goes over 100,000 discoveries confirm the historical accuracy of the Bible. There's no book that has so much historical confirmation as the Bible. It is just truly amazing. So we're just going to go through some of the significant sites or discoveries here in archaeology. Okay, we could spend all afternoon, but we'll just hit a few. One of the most significant is a group of people, a nation called the Hittites. They are first recorded in Genesis 15, later in 1 Kings 10, enemies of the nation of Israel. Now, a little over a century ago, the existence of the Hittites was doubted. Many consider these perhaps a fictional group of people recorded in the Old Testament. Well, in the late 1800s, about 1880 to 1900, 
Great cities were discovered in northern Syria, southern Turkey, the cities of Nuzi, Mari, and Bokhaz. And what was discovered was a library with thousands, thousands of these tablets. These guys could write really small because this is about the size of a cigarette pack. Okay, so when you look at them, I mean, you got to look at them with a magnifying glass. Incredible how they could write. When they were deciphered, we had discovered that we had discovered the Hittite nation and Hattusas, the capital city of the Hittites, and the Hittites had been discovered. Not only that, the cultural customs of the patriarchs recorded in Genesis were corroborated when you study the customs of the Hittites. And in fact, the Hittite language was discovered to be the early relative of the Indo-European languages. And so now you have whole departments of Hittiteology uh, at places like the University of Chicago and others. A, a people group once doubted if they even existed has been confirmed by historical research. Here's another one. It's called the Merneptah Stele. Now, the Bible records that the children of Israel had an amazing deliverance from Egypt in an event called the Exodus, wandered 40 years in the desert, and then came into the land of Canaan. Now, according to biblical chronology, all right, if you're looking at 1 Kings 6.1 and Judges chapter 11 and others, according to biblical chronology, the Exodus happened in about 1446 B.C., okay? Now, archaeologists doing archaeology said, no way, okay? Bible chronology is wrong. There may have been an exodus, maybe not. But Israel came into the land about 1200 B.C., maybe 1250, 1270 B.C. Uh, there's no exodus of Egypt. The Bible chronology is indeed wrong. Well, we discovered the Merneptah Stele there in 1896. And it records the battles of Pharaoh Merneptah, who came up here to Canaan in the land of Libya today. And there he conquered the cities and the tribes over there. And this huge 10-foot stele here, or victory plaque, records his victories over the Libyans. And in the last three lines, he records, Israel is wasted, its seed is not. There's the first reference to the nation of Israel. This is the oldest definitive reference outside the Bible to the nation of Israel as recorded already in the land of Canaan. Second, it's the clearest Egyptian reference to the nation of Israel as a nation. Thirdly, it confirmed the chronology of the Bible because Pharaoh, the Merneptah Stele dates around 1205 to 1210 BC. All right, if the Israelites came from Egypt and got into the promised land at about 1200, 1240 BC, that's too short of a time frame. Because when Merneptah records this, he says the Israelites were already settled in the land. It took a while for them to come out of Egypt, 40 years in the desert, come in on the east side, conquering Jericho and cross the Jordan, and then to conquer that promised land. Hey, it's way too short. So the Merneptah Stele confirmed not only was Israel in the land, but the dates of the Exodus. And then we have the famous historical account of Jericho that we all grow up learning. 
about how the children of Israel marched around the city seven times for seven days and blew the trumpet and the walls came tumbling down. Now, archaeology was done in the 60s by named Kathleen Kenyon. And through all her studies, she said, Bible chronology is wrong. This story is a fairy tale. This city was long abandoned in the 1500s. And when the Israelites came to Jericho, it was an empty, abandoned city. And they made up this story to inspire the nation of Israel. Well, we have done a lot of research since the 60s. Okay, now, I don't know why, but in every biblical historical textbook, everyone's still quoting Kathleen Kenyon. Even when you go to Israel today, everyone's quoting Kathleen Kenyon. You would think between the 60s and now, we've done a lot of archaeological research at Jericho, and indeed, we have. Now, when we were there at Jericho, even the movie that they played there is all based on Kenyon's research, which we know is incorrect today. Even her research in Jerusalem was shown to be incorrect. Did Jericho actually happen? Well, here is Mount Nebo. This is where Moses died. And this green section here, that's the promised land. So that's what Moses was looking at before he died. Okay? He was probably standing right where that guy is <laughs> as he looked into the promised land. Okay? And he might have followed the, the road here into the promised land there. All right, now there's the site of Jericho today. And there is Jericho. A lot of excavation has been done in the last 50 years. What was discovered is that this is perhaps the oldest city in the world, 6,000 years old. Here is a famous watchtower here over 30 feet high. Now, the Bible describes Jericho as a walled city, famous for its walls. And indeed, that's what we have found. Tremendous walled city that surrounds this city. Dr. Garstang did a study before Kathleen Kenyon, and he discovered that the walls suddenly collapsed, and he concluded perhaps it was some kind of earthquake. Now, Kathleen Kenyon did her research and said, well, this city was abandoned before Joshua and the Israelites got there. Well, we've done research since, and here's what we've discovered. Jericho is surrounded by two walls, and you have a low revetment wall here about 10 feet high, and then on top of that, you have another wall protecting the city, another 10 feet high. You have the poorer part of the city. This is where Rahab the harlot probably lived. And then behind the poor part of the city is another wall, another defensive wall about 10 feet high. So the question is, how did the Israelites manage to get into the city? They found large piles of bricks at several bases here like this, which formed a nice ramp for the children of Israel to simply run up in and capture the city. Now, research here has been done by this man here, Dr. Bryant Wood. And there he is at Jericho, standing by one of the walls there. And you can see how high that wall is. Okay, and there he's pointing to portions where the wall collapsed. They also discovered large jars filled with grain. Now, if you lay siege to a city, what do you do? You starve the people out. All right, the fact that there are large jars of grain shows you the city was captured very quickly and the city was burned to the ground. They did carbon dating on the city and on the charcoal remains and they, it dates right to the 14th century. Not only that, they discovered in cemeteries right around Jericho these 
what's called scarab beetles. If you saw the movie The Mummy, all right, these are scarab beetles. They're found at grave sites, okay, and they put the dates when these graves were in use and when people died. And these scarabs here, this is uh, Thutmus III, who ruled from 1500 to 1450 in Egypt. This is Amenhotep, 1386 to 1349. And that scarab there is Hatshepsut. I think I said his name right. Now, these dates here show you that the graves were in use until the 14th century, when suddenly it all comes to an end. What happened to Jericho? Well, archaeologists say some kind of disaster happened to Jericho that brought the city to an end. Well, that's consistent with what the Bible says, that indeed it was destroyed by the people of Israel. Once again, jewelry, large jars of grain, and other artifacts were discovered there. Now remember, the Jews are coming out of the desert. Grain like this is extremely valuable for them to plunder, yet they left it all there. Why is that? Well, because in the Bible, they were forbidden to loot and plunder the city of Jericho. So the discoveries confirm the biblical account. In fact, in 1990, the New York Times, not a conservative newspaper, of course, wrote an article called Score One for the Bible. And it says, after years of doubt among archaeologists, a new analysis of excavations has yielded a wide range of evidence supporting the biblical account about the fall of Jericho. All right, here we go. In Tel Dan in northern Israel, critics once argued King David and Solomon are mythical figures in Bible history. They're simply legends of folklore like Paul Bunyan. In order to give the people of Israel some kind of hero like Hercules or uh, Maui so that to encourage the nation and build their identity. However, in 1993, up in Tel Dan, northern Israel, Israeli archaeologists discovered part of a stone stele, okay, a stone monument bearing the inscriptions of King David and the ruling dynasty that followed after him. This is the first discovery of David outside of the Bible. Here is the article that made front page news all over the United States. And here, scholars stated, use the words phenomenal, stunning, sensational to describe the discovery that was made. Here was a victory plaque which was dated to the 9th century BC made by Ben Hadad of Syria. He's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 15 who defeated the kings of Israel, of northern Israel. And he put up a victory plaque, a victory stele, up there in northern Israel. And he talks about his defeat over the kings of Israel. He says, I killed Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel. I killed Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of the house of David. So here the king of Damascus, writing a few decades after David, acknowledges a King David. Here the enemy of Israel acknowledges a historical David and that the kings come from the line of David. All right, so Jehoram, Ahaziah, Ahab, we know are historical figures. Why not David as well? And in fact, not too long ago, they discovered the entire city of David. And it's been recently opened to the public. 
and they are making tremendous discoveries there in the city of David. Here's another one, the invasion of Sennacherib in 2 Kings 19. He comes upon the land of Israel with hundreds of thousands of Assyrian troops, captures the northern cities of Israel, and then he surrounds Jerusalem, if you remember the story. And the righteous king Hezekiah goes into the temple to pray. And the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, says, tomorrow you'll be eating the plunder of the Assyrian army. And it says, that night, the angel of the Lord went out and slew 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. And when they saw the dead bodies, they fled. Now, many historians saw this simply as a fictional fairy tale. Well, not too long ago, in 1830, we discovered the Sennacherib's prism. Okay, that's a prism. It's about this big. Okay, it's not like this. It's, yeah, these guys wrote really small. And it records Sennacherib's invasion and conquest of the land of Israel. And it records him coming to the north, plundering the cities of the north. And he mentions, guess who? Hezekiah as a real historical figure, right? Not a person of legend. Hey, when those of you in legal work know that enemy attestation is one of the most powerful evidences in court, right? When your opponent acknowledges your facts, that's some of the most powerful testimony or evidence used in court. So here, when you have the enemies of the nation of Israel acknowledging people, places, and events of Israel, that's powerful historical testimony here. And he says, to Hezekiah himself, like a caged bird, I shut him up in Jerusalem, in his royal city. And he talks about having surrounded Hezekiah and having trapped like a caged bird. What's interesting is he never mentions capturing the city or Hezekiah. He suddenly retreats. Why is that? Well, he never conquered the city. Why not? Well, according to a biblical account, his army got slaughtered that night. And so history records how he retreated back to Nineveh where he was assassinated by his sons as recorded in the Bible. And in fact, in 2011, there in the city of David, just recently, we discovered the seal of Hezekiah who ruled the kingdom of Israel at this time. Here we're going through Hezekiah's tunnel here. And as you can see, the water, well, you can kind of see, water goes up to your thigh there. This is the tunnel that Hezekiah and his men built before the siege, how they got water into the city of Jerusalem there, and that's Hezekiah's tunnel. You can go through it today. Water's nice and fresh and cold, and it's about thigh deep. It's a really fun trek to go through there, Hezekiah's tunnel. The last Old Testament archaeological discovery we'll talk about is perhaps the greatest manuscript discovery in history. Out in the Dead Sea, in the Dead Sea Desert, there lived a group of people called the Essenes. About 200 BC, about 200 years before Christ, a group of monastics saw the corruption at the Jerusalem temple, the corruption that got Jesus so upset. But the corruption at the Jerusalem temple had been going on for quite a long time. All right, and so they retreated out into the Dead Sea Desert. And there they recorded, they copied the Old Testament, their theological works, and rules of the community. 
All right, and they were out there at about 200 BC. Why? Because when you look at the chronology of Daniel, the 69 sevens, they knew the Messiah was coming soon. They knew he was coming soon. Daniel 9 records the date of the arrival and crucifixion of the Messiah right to the day. All right, so they knew he was coming soon. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That address again is evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.